You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. afraid to confront iniquity, which is associated with the religious practices of the day. He basically went to them and said, right is right, wrong ain't. Why do you put above the commandments of God, the traditions of men? Why do you do that? It's wrong. They hated him because they knew it was wrong. So they hated him. You kill the messenger, you don't have to worry about the message, right? That didn't work out real well. Truth isn't flexible or subjective. The ultimate truth we cling to is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He died and rose again to secure our redemption. He is truth. As Pastor Dave will warn in today's message, that message will earn you ridicule and rejection at the hands of men, but it bears great eternal rewards. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 7, as he begins his message, A Sharp Division. John 7, verses 10 through 13. If you will read along silently with me, I'll read aloud. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No. On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says these words in chapter 12, verse 51. Quote, Do not suppose that I came to give peace on earth. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Division. Now this pretty much sums up the life of Christ and the book of John. Jesus has already lost most of his disciples, and he's made some of the Jewish leaders mad enough to kill him. Standing in, or excuse me, starting in chapter 13, we have the Last Supper. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He teaches, and then we go to the trial and the crucifixion and so on. So everything from chapter 7 to chapter 12 builds up to that. We're building up to that. As we spoke last week, storm clouds are gathering around our Jesus. Storm clouds are gathering around him. It's conflict. And everything in these chapters from 7 to 12 deal with this conflict which is ensuing. Conflict with his brothers. Conflict with the leaders. Conflict with the leaders and the people over him. Conflict between the leaders and the leaders about him. So there's this mass conflict going on all around Jesus, and all this will lead eventually to the crucifixion, to the cross, the wondrous cross that we sang about. Remember last week we talked about Jesus walking and living 
in the shadow of the cross. His eyes, like a flint, saw the cross from afar. And nothing nor no one would keep him from his appointed hour. Nothing or no one would keep him from the cross. Suppose you thought that I came to give the world peace. Nah, I came for division. Jesus' own words. Jesus came to bring division. Why? Because Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Jesus is the only way to the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' own words. Jesus is the truth, and the truth causes division. The truth causes division. The gospel of Jesus Christ is truth, and there is no greater divider, no greater divider of mankind than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a great divider of those who will be saved. It's a great divider between those who are saved, and it's a great divider between those who are not saved. Those who believe and those who do not believe, those who have hope for eternal life, and those who have no hope. The gospel divides men. The gospel divides women. The gospel divides family. It's a great divider of all mankind. Some of you sitting before me have this division in your own home. You have this division in your own home where the gospel has caused a division, maybe between you and your children, maybe between you and your spouse, maybe between you and your parents. The gospel has caused a division. This division was especially true back in the Jewish community of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. The religious leaders have put out a decree saying that anyone who follows after this Jesus would be put out of the synagogue. That means excommunication. They would be put out. And even Jesus predicts that the disciples would be put out of the synagogue. They would be excommunicated for following him. So as we started chapter 7 last week, we saw Jesus walking in Galilee. He couldn't walk among the Jews because they sought to kill him. And at this point, Jesus' ministry, a dark cloud was assuming over him. And although his time had not come, he knew it was very near. We discussed last week, and I'll repeat it. Jesus lived and walked in the shadow of the cross. His eyes were like a flint towards it. His eyes were like a flint towards the fulfillment of God's will. Nothing or no one would keep him from that plan. So Jesus avoided Jerusalem. He chose to minister in the outlying areas. He didn't want to walk among the Jewish leaders to the elite because they wanted to take him and remove him from society. Yes, he had gathered a following elite, but most of them have left. Most of them have long gone. And even still, the religious leaders were felt threatened by him. They felt threatened. Why? Well, for one thing, Jesus didn't want to play by their rules. Jesus didn't believe that their rules were from God. Jesus believed that their rules were man-made. In fact, he was committed to the Father's plan of redemption instead of adhering to their demands that they follow their man-made laws. You've read in Matthew, Matthew 23, Jesus comes against the Pharisees because they esteem the traditions of man more than the commandments of God. And what did he call them? I loved it. He called them hypocrites. He called them blind guides. And my favorite, whitewashed tombs. 
You look great on the outside, but inside there's dead man bones. Because you're dead. There's no spirit within you. Even Jesus' half-brothers had an attitude towards him. Their attitude regarding Jesus was not one that you might expect, being his half-brothers. Growing up with him. We talked yesterday, the guys and I talked yesterday, how Jesus would be the oldest in the family. He would be the oldest sibling in the family. One that the brothers might look up to. Now, they've been around him long enough to know that he was different. They've been around him long enough to know that there was something different about him. Maybe they heard some of the stories. They don't know. But they didn't treat him as such. They didn't treat him as such. Instead, they were filled with selfishness. They were filled with arrogance. And sadly, they were filled with unbelief. So there was division even in Jesus' own family. There was division. Now, praise the Lord, this would change after the resurrection. But at, of this time, division. As I've been telling you all along, and as Jesus said himself, as we read through John chapter 6, his time has not come for him to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And he wasn't going to Jerusalem to give the Jewish leaders an opportunity to catch him and force that time upon him. No, he would go when it was God's time. He would do it when God's time would come. Jesus remained committed to the Father's will, regardless of the desires and opinions of men. Does that describe you? Are you committed to the will of God regardless of the opinions and the desires of others in your life? Or do you shirk back when you're around that unsaved family member because of the division, because of the conflict? Do you shirk back from being Jesus at, at the house? Do you shirk back from saying that prayer or from reading the Bible around them because you know how they feel about it and you don't want to offend them? i got news for you. Jesus wanted to offend them. Would you rather them go to hell or would you rather offend them? See, the world around us constantly applies pressure to us to conform to its image. We're supposed to be conformed and transformed into the image of our, our beloved Savior. But the world wants us to conform to it. The world is constantly throwing things your way. Conform here. Conform that way. In fact, this isn't even my notes because it happened just recently. I told the guys this morning, I don't know about you, but I read that the Episcopal Church has now decided they are they're going to remove all masculine pronouns from the Bible. The Bible now will be gender sensitive. It won't have, excuse me, won't be gender sensitive. The Episcopal Church voted on that, and now they're changing all their prayers. I want to know what they're going to do with our Father who art in heaven. Big guy, whoever's up there, give me a break. You don't think we're living in the last days? You need to rethink that. You need to rethink what's going on. See, the world wants us to conform to their image. The world hopes that we will conform to their desires. And we need the same resolve that Jesus had to go to the cross. We need the same desire to be obedient to the will of God. We must always remember that the world does not seek our benefit. The world just wants to show you up and call you, you think you're a Christian. The world wants to point you out to others. See, the world was Jesus' opposition. The world hated him. Why? Because he exposed their evilness. 
Jesus told the disciples that the world would hate them as well and they would be put out of the synagogue. The world hates us. The world hates us. Those of you who stand up for Christianity are hated in the world. Why? Paul says because we're the aroma of death. We are the aroma of death to those that are perishing. Those that are perishing, we're the aroma of death. God has made us representatives for him. Jesus has given us the authority in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples among all nations. He has given us that authority. So we are his representatives, and we bring to the people a message of hope. To some, it's a message of eternal life. It's a sweet savor unto God. Life to life. But to others, those who reject it, those who refuse it, it's a message of death. It's a message of judgment. We bear God's word. Paul said we are the epistles written on the hearts of men. We bear God's word within us. And to believe and receive this message means to reject death and accept life. But to bear this kind of message, this message of life and death, is a heavy, heavy responsibility. And for some crazy reason, God is choosing us to carry forth that message. Fallen man. He has chosen us to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors. He's chosen us to go forth with God's word. The message that we bring, the teaching of God's word that I bring up here, a person's life hanging in the balance, eternal life, wow, it doesn't get any heavier than that. We're a responsibility. That's why it's important that we teach the message clearly. Clearly. That's why we study to show ourselves approved. That's why we speak clearly and concisely. We don't shove it down their throats and we don't beat them to death with it. We love them. We show God's love to them and we teach that message. Why? Because a person's eternal life is at stake. Some of you have come to me with woes of the world. I'm so worried about all these people who are unsaved. We need to be Jesus in front of them by our lives. It's our lives that changes others. Our lives in us. But if we get too much of our personality into it, and they see our personality as obnoxious, me obnoxious? Anyhow, if they see our personality as obnoxious, they go away from the message. They leave the message. They go away from it. It was offensive. It's obnoxious to them. And then it becomes a savor of death. And that is tragic. That's tragic. Heavy responsibility I lay upon you this morning because it's life and death. Apostle Paul said, Who is sufficient for these things? Paul says, Hey, wait a minute. Who is sufficient to handle this responsibility? Who has given me this responsibility? Who is sufficient? Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3 5. For our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of Christ. Christ has given us the sufficiency because he is our sufficiency. He has given us the power. It's called the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power, you are going to be his witnesses for him. Jesus well understood the dynamics of the situation. He understood the reason he was opposed. In fact, if he went up to Jerusalem and performed more miracles in the presence of the Pharisees, he wouldn't gain any favor. He was hated. Hated. Because of who he was and because of who he claimed to be. 
The majority, including many of his own family, denied him that he was the Christ. But he wasn't going to deny the, deny the Father, nor was he going to deny his deity. Jesus knew exactly who he was and exactly where he was going. He was hated because of his preaching also, because he preached the truth. He was not afraid to confront corruption. He wasn't afraid to, to confront iniquity, which is associated with the religious practices of the day. He basically went to them and said, right is right, wrong ain't. Why do you put above the commandments of God the traditions of men? Why do you do that? It's wrong. They hated him because they knew it was wrong. So they hated him. If you kill the messenger, you don't have to worry about the message, right? That didn't work out real well. Jesus preached the word to them. He brought conviction unto them. Jesus refused to alter his biblical doctrine for the approval of men, and that's what I see the Episcopal Church doing. And this is on Facebook going all over the nation. Right is right and wrong ain't. You take these two aspects and you look at them, it's a point of contention even today. It's a point of contention even today. The world doesn't really mind religion or even religious practices, but don't say the name of Jesus Christ. Don't say that name. The world has drawn a red line in the sand when it comes to the name of Jesus. Just the mention of his name brings anger and hate. You'll be called a racist. You'll be called all kinds of things. Just the mention of the name Jesus. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been called that. But if you preach the word without compromise, mark my words, you will be opposed. Preaching the word without compromise, you will be opposed. I have, from this podium, not been called to be a man pleaser. I will not be a man pleaser. I have been called to preach the entire counsel of God not to justify anyone's sin. I've been called by God. I have been called to preach Christ, Him crucified. Christ died and buried. Christ risen again. Christ ascended into heaven. And Christ who will soon return. And as long as I have the podium, as long as the Lord keeps me as pastor of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, that will be the direction we head. It's a direction that God wants us to go because that is the truth. Everything else will work its way out, folks. Everything else is going to work its way out one way or the other. It's going to work its way out. So in our scriptures today, didn't think I'd get there, did you? As we now study this time of conflict, we see this sharp division happening. We see this stark vision happening, this conflict, because of the people's reaction towards Jesus Christ. The first thing we see, we're going to read, is that it was complete contempt by the religious leaders, while there was confusion by the people. Look at verses 10 and 11. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as if it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? So Jesus told the brothers to go to the feast. He said, go, go, you guys go up. And then he finally goes up. We said last week that Jesus fulfilled the law completely and he obeyed Deuteronomy 16, 16, 
that God commanded all males to get to the feast and celebrate it in Jerusalem. Jesus did that. He did that by fulfilling that. Even though it may not have been sensible in anyone's eyes for him to go up. And I love this about Jesus. Even though it wasn't sensible in anybody's eyes that he go up, his obedience to the Father was more important. I love that. Jesus knew the law, and he upheld it completely and perfectly as he went to Jerusalem. This begs the question, how important is obedience to you? How important is the obedience to God to you? Is that an important part of your life? Or is it only important when it is your favor? When would you obey God? Are you submitted to God in all areas of your life? Can you sit before the Lord like David and say, search me, see if there are any wicked ways in me? Can you do that with honesty? And then when the Lord points something out, can you bring it forward and confess it and ask for forgiveness? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to direct and to guide you through this life without argument or question? My favorite example of this, I don't know how many times I told this story, but I'm going to tell it again. It's my favorite example. It's a crazy guy driving down the street in the neighborhood, and the Lord tells him to go stick his head in a mailbox and yell, Jesus loves you. You've heard the story. The guy fought with the Lord. I can't do that. That's crazy. That's insane. I'll get arrested. And he drove, kept on driving around. Go stick your head in a mailbox and yell, Jesus loves you. Oh, I can't do that. What do you, this is crazy. Lord, I can't do this. Are you going to obey me or man? So finally he comes up to a mailbox, gets out of the car, opens up the mailbox, shoves his head in there and goes, Jesus loves you. Closes the mailbox and runs and gets back in his car. And as he's starting out, here comes this guy out in a towel. And the guy said, did you yell Jesus loves you? He said, yeah, I did. Why? He said, you don't understand. He hung up, pulled up a rope with a hangman's noose on the end of it. He says, I was getting ready to kill myself. And I said, Lord, if you're real, make it known to me. And the next thing I heard was Jesus loves you. How far are you willing to go to be obedient to God? It's a question all of us have to answer. It's a question. It's a true question. Jesus never wavered in his submission to the Father. Never wavered. He was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. He never wavered. But he goes up in secret. He doesn't go up openly. He doesn't go up parading around with his brothers. Here I am, gang. Look at me. You know, he, he, he went up there, and he never, ever pointed to himself until the appointed time. Until the appointed time, we call that the triumphant entry. It's the only time Jesus ever encouraged people to exalt him. But up until then, he always did things in secret. The Jews were looking for him. Where is he? They were searching for him everywhere. They thought that he would be at the feast, but they weren't sure. But they looked at him. They, were him. they weren't seeking him out of a desire to know him. They weren't seeking him out of a desire to hear what he wanted to, had to say. They were seeking him for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to put an end to this nonsense. They were filled with contempt. They were filled with contempt for our Savior. And sadly, this attitude of contempt continues today and hinders many. The majority of people want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.